But the Bible says in verse number 12, well, we left off verse 11 last week, so we're in verse 12, Philippians 3, 12. The Bible says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. By the way, if Paul didn't, you ought not either. Somebody say amen. This right here blows perfectionism right out of the water. People think that when you got saved, you're perfect and you're sinless and all that. No, unfortunately, I wish that were true, don't you? But it's not. Paul said, I don't count myself to have apprehended. But listen to what he said. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Now there are so many rich things in this text and we're going to try to just skim the surface of many of them this morning. But what I'm interested in, and I'm going to bring this out a little bit further in the message here, but... I'm interested in Paul's passion that he has. I'm interested in his intense obsession with, uh, with being more like Jesus Christ. And we see that in these words. Look at your Bible. Look at like verse number 12. He said, uh, but I follow after. You need to note those words. I follow after. And then words like apprehend. He said that I may apprehend or apprehended in verse number 13. That I may apprehend. That means to get a hold of. Uh, uh, like, a, like, a, like a police officer would get a hold of a criminal, right? He would apprehend that criminal. Lay hold on, seize him. He said I follow after. That is intense pursuit. That is running after. To follow somebody as almost if when you catch them, you're going to kill them. <laughs> That's what it means, to pursue with the intent to harm somebody. <laughs> I'm following. It's an intense pursuit. And then, man, I love this, verse 13, reaching forth. Man, that's, that's reaching out, stretching out all the way. The idea here is an athlete is what it is, who's in a race, 
And he's stretching forward. And verse 14, he's pressing toward the mark. To press toward. These are, these are very intense words that really reveal Paul's passion, his obsession. He was consumed with being more like Christ. He wanted to be like Him. And he's plunging forward. He's stretching out. He's reaching out. He's pressing forth. He's going just as hard as he possibly can. Paul was a man, and I think we would agree with this. You can tell by his right. He was a man that was very driven. He had intense passion. And I thought about if there's one thing that's really missing from our churches these days, it is that kind of intensity about the things of God. And I want to preach on that. I want to kind of I want to look at it from that light this morning just for a minute. Here's my title. I want to preach on this thought. Has your get up and go got up and went? Has your get up and go got up and went? How many of y'all know the feeling when you get a little bit older? You get up and go. It has gotten up and it has left you. It has gone. I ain't talking about uh, how your back feels today or your feet or your hip or your knees or your elbows or any other joints. I'm talking about spiritually speaking this morning. If you had to gauge your spiritual passion, if you had to measure your intensity for the cause of Christ and to be more like Jesus Christ, where would you measure up on that? How are you doing? Can we do, is it all right to do a little spiritual checkup this morning? Just take a little spiritual inventory and ask ourselves, where are we at with this thing? I want us to pray and I want us to ask the Lord if He would to do a work in our heart. By the way, and let me go ahead and spoil something for you. Look at verse 15 just for a minute. He said this. He said He wants us to be this thus minded, verse 15. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, look what He said. God shall reveal this even this unto you. How many of you believe that God is able to reveal to you this morning where you stand spiritually? That's my prayer. I read that. I said, man, that's my prayer for this message. That God would reveal it to me. Where am I at spiritually? My passion, my, my desire, my intense pursuit of the things of God and the will of God and to be more like Jesus Christ, which is really what the context here is of this passage. And we'll see that here in just a minute. Where are you? And if you're not where you ought to be, the Bible said God, it doesn't say God might, it said God shall Reveal even this unto you. If you're really saying God is trying to show you, it's not a mystery. It ain't something He's trying to hide from you. It ain't something you got to take a, a hundred page questionnaire to figure out. You ain't got to run a bunch of diagnostic tests. To, uh, you can know God will show it to you. But the question is, are you able and willing to see it? Because you know, there's some people with problems and issues. You can show it to them all day long. But if they don't want to see it, they ain't going to see it. They can have issues and problems and things that, I mean, are going on in their life. And man, but if, if, you, if they will not look at it, if they're, if they are covering their eyes and if they are stopping their ears, it doesn't matter how much evidence you show them. It doesn't matter how much obvious truth that you reveal to them. They will not. They don't want to see it. They absolutely don't want to see it. I hope that's not your case this morning. Are you willing to look? Are you willing to think about it? Are you? God said He'd reveal it to you. Are you willing to see it? And if you did see it, what would you do anything with it? 
Would you? That's questions for you to answer. I was about to pray, wasn't I? Why don't we pray right here? God, please. I pray that you would show us, God, where we are. Lord, we're, we're people that are passionate about many things. There's some in here passionate about the news. Some here passionate about politics. Passionate about sports. Passionate about money. Passionate about pleasure. Passionate about vacations. Passionate about, about a, a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. A, passionate about all kinds of things. But Lord, would you please show us today, Lord, where we are in this thing about being passionate, about being more like you and, be, and following you, doing your will. God, please reveal it to us, I pray. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can't help when you read this text to see that the, the prominent theme here, and you need to know this, if you're going to understand this passage rightly and divide it rightly, you're going to have to understand that the prominent theme in this passage is the glorification of the believer. When we left off verse number 11 last week, we were talking about the things that were added to Paul when he counted as loss the things that, uh, that he was holding on to and trusting in before. They were added. When he decided to subtract those other things, there were things that were added to him. And one of the things that was added to him in verse number 11 was that, that resurrection of the dead, that secure, confident expectation that one day he was going to be raised in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, that is the confident expectation of every single believer that is in here one of these days we are going to be exactly like Jesus. Now don't get too excited like that. That'll only make you excited if you're sick of this world. That'll only get you excited if you're sick of sin. That'll only get you excited if you're mad at the devil instead of friends with the devil this morning. And that'll only get you excited as if, uh, if, you, if you're upset and, and just disgusted with this old flesh that you're living in. But now if you're satisfied with all the above you probably don't get too excited about glorification. But those of us that are excited about that, those of us that are sick of this flesh and sin and the devil in this world, we get excited when we think about one day we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We won't have to worry about sin anymore. We won't have to worry about sorrow anymore. We won't have to worry about sickness anymore. Thank God we are headed toward a perfect state one of these days. If you want the very best definition of what glorification is, look at verse number 21. Verse 21 is the greatest definition. It's the Bible definition for glorification. Talking about Jesus Christ, He's the subject, back to verse 20. But verse 21, "...who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body." according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. How in the world is he going to take this old wicked body and going to make it like his body one of these days? Well, he has the power, it says. It's on the basis of the power of God whereby he is able to subdue. That means to put in his control. Listen, there's something about this flesh that I had trouble with, and that is I had trouble putting it under subjection. 
I had trouble keeping it under control. And can I get a witness in here? Anybody else like that? But can I tell you, Jesus don't have that problem. Amen. And one day when he says the word, the trumpet's going to sound, and we which are alive and remain are going to be called up together with the Lord in the air, and our bodies, our vile bodies, Paul said, are going to be changed just like that, and they're going to be likened unto the resurrected body that Jesus had when he got and has when he got up on the third day. Isn't that a blessing? Just like his. And all of these, there's, there are eight, I counted eight references to glorification. Isn't that amazing? Eight's the number of new beginning, isn't it? Amen. There are eight references to our glorification. And I'm not going to preach these, but I'm going to hit them real quick. When you see the word in verse number 12, when you see the word attained, he's talking about glorification right there. That means to lay hold of. One day we are going to get a hold of it. We are going to attain. We're not attained yet. That's what he said in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in verse number 12. We haven't already attained, but one day we will attain that. Amen. It's the word perfect. It's again referencing, he said, either we're already perfect. What he's talking about, he said, I'm not glorified yet. I don't have my glorified body yet, but perfect. You know what perfect means? It means to be complete, lacking absolutely nothing. Then he references it in verse number 12 again. He calls it this. Our glorification is that for which also I am apprehended. It is the reason that Jesus got a hold of me. Why did God save you? Why did Jesus lay hold on you one day? He did it so he could change you to be like him. That is your ultimate purpose. That is your ultimate destination. If you are saved by the good grace of God, that is why Jesus saved you. It it wasn't to put money in your bank account. It wasn't so you could drive a fancy car. It wasn't health, wealth, and prosperity. He's not interested in making you comfortable. He's interested in making you conformable into His image. He is making you like Him. That is the reason Jesus took possession of you one day. Verse 13, He calls it apprehended. It's not just the reason He apprehended, but it is apprehension itself. That means to take possession of, to seize something. He calls it in verse 13, those things which are before. What are the things which are before? That is our glorification. Verse number 14, he calls it the mark. He calls it the prize. He calls it the high calling. Your glorification is all three of those things. It is the mark. That means, think about a runner, and he has a goal. He has a finish line. That is the finish line. To be like the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the goal. It's not to be like me. It's not to be like anybody else. It is to be like Jesus and that will only take place when we are conformed into His image. It is the prize. Amen. It's not streets of gold. It's not a big mansion. It's not a harp and a crown. I'll tell you what the prize is. It's to be like Jesus. That's what we're going to... What's the good thing about being saved? You get Jesus and you get to be like Him one of these days. And it is the high calling of God is what He calls it. And high calling, it just simply means, literally, it, it means an upward invitation. Amen, I like that. It's an upward. One day we're going to get an invitation to come up. Amen. It is a high calling. I'm talking about real high, higher than anything in this world. And that is the believer's sure hope. Every single Christian will receive glorified bodies that are just like Jesus one day when we get to heaven. So my question is this. Here's why I brought all that up. Well, it's in the text, but here's how it all fits together. Why in the world is Paul so intense 
about reaching that mark. I mean, he's so intense about reaching it that he's stretching. I mean, he is reaching forward. He is running as fast as he can. He's pursuing it like he's chasing down a criminal. Why is he so intent? Why, why the passion, Paul? Why the get up and go? Man, you couldn't tie this man down. You could not tell him to chill out. I mean, Paul, he didn't know what a chill pill was, man. I'm talking about he is, I mean, just extra every day. I mean, his feet hit the floor and he is running toward the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. Why the intensity in his life if it is a sure thing? If it is a fixed thing that is absolutely inevitable, if it absolutely will take place for every single believer, why does Paul pursue it so intently? If it's a sure thing, your glorification... By the way, if you're saved, your glorification is a sure thing. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. That's Romans 8, right? You've been justified, you will be glorified. Why, why then, Paul? I mean... Shouldn't Paul just, you know, say, hey, I'm saved? Shouldn't he sit out on the beach somewhere in a folding chair and have it made in the shade, sipping pink lemonade? Right? Paul, you're going, listen, if you're saved, and I think Paul got saved, what about y'all? Paul, if you're saved, listen, chill out, dude. You're going to make it to heaven. You're going to be like Jesus one day. Why, why are you so extra, man? Why are you so intent? Paul made coffee nervous, man. He's just always just obsessed with this thing. And honestly, that's the way most people view their Christian life. I'm saved. What's the big deal? Right? I'm saved. You know, I prayed the prayer. I signed the card. You know, I went down the altar. I cried. I got a date. It's wrote in my Bible. It's right here. I'm saved. What's the big deal? Listen, I, and I, that's the attitude most Christians have. Sadly, we live in a day full of apathy. It's hard to get people to care about spiritual things. It's hard to get people to. It's hard to get people concerned about. I'm passionate about the things of God and the will of God because they have that attitude right there. Well, I'm saved. Listen, the trumpet's going to sound one day. I'm going. Listen, I got my fireproof insurance. You know, he's got to glorify me. You know, here's my card, you know. He's got to do it. I got my ticket. And so I'm going to live in this world and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to prop my feet up and I'm just going to enjoy everything this world has to offer until the trumpet sounds, and then you know what? Then I'll, then you know he's gonna make. I, there's no. I can't be perfect in this life, right? Paul, even Paul. If Paul's not perfect, what chance do I have about me? I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna ever attain. I'm never gonna apprehend. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna sit back in my lazy boy and enjoy this world until the trumpet sounds or until I die. Is that not? Does that not describe Christianity? They don't care about souls. The Great Commission, holiness, care about carnality, faithfulness. It doesn't mean anything to them. Why? Because, man, I'm saved, man. I'm going to heaven. Leave me alone. I can't lose it, right? 
Once saved, always saved. You can't lose it. Well, sit back. Enjoy the ride. Listen, Paul, that kind of attitude about salvation would be absolutely foreign to the Apostle Paul. He wouldn't know what you're talking about. He wouldn't. Listen, if that's your theology about salvation, Paul would look at you and say, uh, you need to get really saved. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you what salvation does. True Bible salvation. It does not just secure your future. It absolutely, radically, I mean, transforms your life. It changes you from the inside out. Paul just got done at the beginning of this chapter talking about how dead religion is. And it will not change you. It only gives you outward things to focus on. But real Bible salvation will change you from the inside out. And here's what I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to you, if that is really your assessment of the situation, if that's really the attitude you have, listen, you do not know Bible salvation. You've not met the Jesus that Paul met. Because when you meet meet the real Jesus and He really saves you and He really changes your life, He puts this drive on the inside of you and you are absolutely miserable unless you're pressing forward, unless you are reaching out, unless you are going for the glory of God. Why in the world should we be passionate about something that we know we can never attain in this life and we know is a sure thing in the future that we shouldn't even have to worry about? Why why should we care about that? Why should we press toward the mark? I read after one writer, and and I thought about a couple of these, but man, he gave like a whole list. I'm going to, he's got a good list. I'm just going to list his list. Here's what he said. Why should we press toward knowing that we're going to get there anyway? Why should we have a passion about something knowing that it's going to take place? First of all, and this is really all the only thing we need, it just glorifies God, doesn't it? It glorifies God. It proves that their salvation is genuine. It adorns and makes visible the truth of God to others. It brings assurance of their salvation. It preserves believers from the sorrow that comes from spiritual immaturity. It protects the cause of Christ from reproach. It produces joy in the believer's life. It equips them for ministry to others in the body of Christ. It enhances their witness to the lost world. And can I tell you, if that list, if that means nothing to you, if nothing on that list touches your heart and they don't mean anything at all to you, then listen, you need to be born again. Because people that are truly saved, they care about the glory of God. They care about their witness. They care about growing in the Lord. And they want to grow and they want I want to know Him more, like Paul said in verse 10, that I may know Him. I want a fellowship with Him. I want to be with Him. I want that joy. I want to equip others. I want there to be growth in my life. I want to be a witness to a lost world. There will be something inside of you. And I know you can get backslidden. I know, you can, I, know, I know those things. And I believe that with all my heart. But listen, is there not anything inside of you at all? Is there something? Is there anything in you at all that cares anything about pressing toward the thing that God saved you for. And that is to be holy and to be like Him and to be like Christ. Is there anything inside of you at all that resonates with anything about Paul? See, we look at Paul, we put him up on some pedestal. He's some freak of nature, you know. He just, he just got saved and he's just weird. He's just No, I'll tell you what Paul is. He's saved is what he is. Because you'll read Romans 7 and finds out he struggles with his flesh just like you do. 
He, he's not in some different category of saved. Ain't nobody. There's just, there, there ain't different levels. There's not different categories. There is just simply spiritual growth. And growth happens when there is a desire and there is a longing to consume the things of God that help you grow. Like a newborn baby desires the sincere milk of the Word that he may what? Grow thereby. That baby comes out. Listen, you don't have to take it to a, a class to tell it it's supposed to be hungry. You don't have to teach it how to grow. You know why? It just comes natural. There is a longing, there is an intense desire for something that will cause him to do what he has already been born to do. Grow up. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And that spiritual man, I already showed you in verse number 15, he's going to have that mindset. Let us therefore as many be perfect. Now, you've got to look at that word perfect right there. Perfect, that doesn't mean uh, completely glorified like the word perfect means up in verse number 12. The reason is the context tells us that it's not. He just told us that we're not. Paul said, I'm not perfect, but he said, those of you that are perfect, what he means by that is this, those of you that have some spiritual maturity about you. It's spiritual maturity. Those of you that have spiritual maturity, if be thus minded, he said you ought to have this same mind. And if not, if anything you be otherwise minded, he said, God shall reveal this even unto you. And that's my prayer. Where's your desire? Where's your longing? Where's your hunger? Where's your appetite? Where's your... Where's your drive? Like that runner, that sprinter that's in the race, and he wants to win, and he wants to get to the mark. Where is Is that in your life? Look at your life. Is it there? Is there any passion? What are you passionate about? If we were to check your Facebook page, your social media, talk to your friends, what, 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 what drives you? What, what motivates you? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? Some of y'all say, it's my bladder. Amen. We ain't talking about that. What gets you up and going? Is it to be more like Jesus? I'll tell you, here's what I found out. And I'm going to, here's just a little thought. We're out of here. But here's what I found out that your passion for godliness and holiness and being more like Jesus, it'll be determined by three things. I'm going to give you these three things and I'm done. Number one, it'll be determined by, first of all, what you're forgetting. What you're forgetting. Look at verse number 13. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Paul says that before he can properly reach forward, before he can reach forth to what is ahead of him, he said, I had to let go of what was behind me. Can I tell you, what, something that will severely, negatively impact your passion for the Lord, your get up and go, your drive, your motivation, your, your intense desire, something that will, if, you, if you're running low on that, if you find yourself running low this morning, if you find yourself just lagging a little bit, if it's not what it used to be, if it's not where it used to be at, I'll tell you, one of the things that may be hindering that is what you're forgetting or not forgetting. 
Because think about this. If we're thinking about the analogy of a runner that's in a race, how foolish would it be? I'm telling you, a runner that is sprinting and he's trying to reach the mark, if he's trying to win the race, he's trying to win the prize, I'm going to tell you something. Listen, if he's constantly looking backwards, as he's trying to run forwards, if he's constantly looking behind him, how many of you know he's not going to win? Every time that sprinter, every time that runner, every time he turns around and looks behind him, what is he doing? He's slowing down. You cannot press forward at your full speed while you are looking behind you. And can you imagine a runner trying to win a race like that? It's absolutely unimaginable. And can I tell you, your past, in the very same way Paul said, your past can rob you of passion and intensity in the race. Some people are hindered by success in the past. They don't have any desire to do anything today because they're dwelling on everything they used to do 10 years ago. Come on now. Some of you don't have any desire to worship God and to, and to praise Him and to live for Him because you're thinking about, well, I used to do this and I used to do that. And think, say, well, this ain't nothing. What we have around here right now, this ain't nothing compared to what we used to have, the revivals we used to have, the days have gone by, the good old days. Can I tell you something about the good old days? You didn't think they were the good old days when you were living in them. You had problems just like you have today. Amen. And can I tell you something? Ten years from now, you'll probably look on today and say, man, these were the good old days. Amen. Read the book of Haggai, and Haggai chronicles the, that new temple, Zerubbabel's temple that's being built. And you remember they got that thing done, and the young men were saying, yeah, woo, look at this temple. And the old men were saying, oh, it ain't as good as the old one used to be. The young men were shouting, and the old men were crying. God said, hey, it's going to be all right, Zerubbabel. Don't worry about it. Because the glory that's in this new house is going to be better. It don't matter what the house looks like. It's who's filling the house. And what's the house filled with? And I know I love to hear about revivals of yesterday and I love to hear about those things and I glory in them and I read about them and they encourage me and they stir my soul. But can I tell you, the same God that was alive back then, He's still alive today. The same God that was on the throne back then, He's still on the throne today. If He thought it was wrong back then, it's still wrong today. If He thought it was right back then, it's still right today. God has not changed. You change, I change. But God never changes. Amen. He's the same. He's the same. Don't let I tell you, success will, will cause you to in the past. And thank God for good success, but you can't live on that. You got to forget it. Keep it as a marker and, and as a place where you thank God for. Hey, but listen, don't chain yourself to it. And then what about failures in the past? Has that ever robbed you of your intention? Have you ever, have you ever started maybe to, man, I'm going to go with God, and you get excited, and you get things right, and you get past for God, and then, and then the devil starts throwing up things you used to do. Has that ever happened to you? Your flesh, your mind, it starts running. People start, you start remembering failures of your life and regrets and things that you did. And you're sitting today, and you're sitting and letting that rob you of going all the way and being intently passionate about following Christ today. Intensely passionate. Because you're too busy thinking about all your guilt. Listen, Paul had a record, didn't he? He had a horrible past. 
He had some that he, what he used to thought was success. We used to think, he used to think it was, used to count it as success, but he counted all that as dung, right? And things he now knows were great failures in his life. He's the one that consented to the death of Stephen. How about that? You know what Paul said? He said, I had to forget all of those things. You know what it is to forget? So we think about the word forget, we think that it, that it means just not to remember something. And there is obviously an element of that. But what it really means is this. It means to no longer be under the influence of that thing. Because when God chooses not to remember things, what He's saying is, listen, God knows everything. He's omnipotent. You understand that, right? But what He is telling us when He tells us about that is saying, those things no longer influence me. Your sins and your iniquities, He said, I will remember no more. They no longer count in the equation. They're no longer a part of the process. He said, I am no longer under the influence of those things. And listen, as long as we're in this flesh, there's going to be things that we never will be able to forget. That doesn't mean we have to be influenced by them every single day. Somebody say amen right there. And if your passion is low, if your desire for holiness is low, I wonder if you're holding on to a past, something that is from yesterday that is stealing your desire for following God today. Your passion and your godliness, your passion for godliness and being like Christ will be determined by Number one, what you're forgetting. Number two, who you're following. Who you're following. Look, what, look at your Bible. Look what he said in verse 17. He said, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And he goes into verse 18 and 19 and he's warning us about people that will hinder your desire to run this race for God. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. How many of y'all still with me say amen? amen. Y'all just listening real good. I know that, but I'm just, just making sure y'all still alive. Listen, it is impossible to maintain an intense passion for God when you're hanging around people that don't have an intense passion for God. When you're following after and letting people influence you that do not have an intense passion for God, you're not going to have it. You're not going to have it. It ought to be no surprise. Listen, look at the crowd you associate yourself with. Look at the people that you let in your circle of influence. If they're not passionately following after God, then what do you think your problem is? I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to be mean or sarcastic, but... Isn't that, I mean, isn't that just obvious? Brother Dean used to tell me all the time, he said, run with the running. That's what he always say. Run with the running. It means find people that are running after God and get with them, and that will help you run after God. Run with the running. You can sit with the sitting, and you can, you can lay around with the laying if you want to, but you ought to find some people that are running after God so quick, so hard, they don't have time for anything else in this world, and you ought to try to catch up with them. So Paul said, follow me. Isn't that what he said? Be followers of me. I'm your example. Why could Paul say that? Because he's following after Jesus just as hard as he possibly can. He said, you try to keep up with me. Remember in school... Most people love PE class. I hated PE class. My favorite subject was lunch. 
Amen. I didn't like peeing. I'm not athletic. There's nothing, there's nothing about me of any athletic ability whatsoever. If I was on the team, I sat on the bench. Even if on the basketball team we only had four, you know, only five players uh, to play on the team or whatever, they'd still set me on the bench and play four, you know, in the game. That's how bad I was and am and will forever be. Uh, but I used to hate people. When I was in elementary school, they did this thing uh, where, uh, you know, you had to, they would, it's like a, like a national, I don't know, it's not a contest, but a national thing, or the presidential fitness club and all that. I don't know if anybody remember that, but you have to do uh, uh, pull-ups and sit-ups and, and uh, push-ups and anything with ups in it. I really, unless it's a, unless it's a, uh, one of them little, uh, Push-up pops, yeah, I like those. Yeah, little Flintstone push-up pops. That's the only kind of ups I like. I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't care for it. But uh, I, my best friend in elementary school, his name was Ross. And Ross, I mean, he was, his dad was in the military. His dad was in the Air Force. And so they were like a physical fit family, like the opposite of our family. We drank Coke for breakfast in our family. And lunch and dinner, uh, but anyways, so I mean, they, I mean, like he, like he wore, the, I mean, he looked like he ran every day. I mean, like as far as his attire, he'd come. I'm mean, we're like in fourth grade, but he looked. I mean, we're like little Nike, you know, wind shorts and a and a and a shirt, you know, some kind of running shirt or something. And that's, he looked like he just got done running and he looked like he ran to school every day. That's what he, that's how he dressed. And they did this thing where you know, they, made, they time you doing a mile. You had to go around the parking lot. They measured out a mile and they time you. And we did it like every day for a couple weeks. They wanted to try to you know, build this up before this competition thing, this physical fitness thing. And, and I tell you, I, 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 I stayed in the back of the pack. I, 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 I walked with the fat kids that uh, didn't even try. You know, we just kind of leisurely going around. And, uh, you know, so my mile would be like 16 minutes, 17 minutes, 18 minutes. Well, my buddy Ross, you know, man, he just, he, he'd go around that track. He was, his mile was five minutes, six minutes, you know, stuff like that. He would just, he'd fly around there. And uh, you know what? One day I decided, one of these days I said, you know what? I'm tired of walking with the fat kids, all right? I said, and the, and, the, and the gothic kids and, you know, the depressed kids and all that. I'm tired, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of walking with them. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run with the running. I said, I'm going to keep up with Ross. And I'm going to tell you something. I could not keep up with him. But I'll tell you what. I did a mile in under eight minutes. Because I, now I about died. But I did a mile under eight minutes. Man, I ran, and I tried, and I could see it. And, of course, we started out. I was keeping up with him okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get winded. I get tired, and there he goes. But you know what? I could see him, and I was trying my best to keep up with him. And I ended up doing a lot better than what I was doing. You know why? Because I changed my crowd. And I'm going to tell you something. You find some people. Hey, listen, young people that are looking for a spouse, I'll tell you how to find a spouse. I'll tell you how to find out if he's the one, if she's the one. Hey, find out how hard he's running towards God. And if you can keep up with him, or if you can't keep up with him, he might be the one for you. Amen. Amen. 
Find out it's somebody that's running, I mean, 100 miles an hour toward the things of God and see if you can't keep up with them. And God may just put you all together and you all can run towards, towards God together. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Some of you all have lagged behind. You, you, you've decided just to walk around the track with the fat kids. Everybody all right? If you're a fat kid, it's okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a fat adult, you know. It's fine. I'm not picking on anybody. And honestly, that's what Paul calls them. Look what he said. You want, who, who's the people that you ought not to be trying to let them influence you for the Lord? He tells them who it is. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction. In the way he starts with their end when he goes to describe them. He said their end is destruction. Listen, don't hang out with them because well, where they end up is not a good place. But look what he said about them. Whose God is their belly. <laughs> I told you it's the fat kids. Whose God is their belly. People that are controlled by the appetites of the flesh. People that are controlled by it. They can't say no. Listen, no wonder you don't have any desire for the things of God. You hanging out with people that all they want is what appeases their flesh. Their glory is their shame. Is what he said. You know what that means? They boast about it. They're not, they're not, they don't blush about sin. They're not sad about sin. They're not, listen, you're not going to find a perfect friend. You're not going to find perfect influences. But sure enough, don't find you somebody that boasts about their sin. Now, they're proud. They don't care who knows it. They'll tell the whole world. They'll post it for all to see. Look how wicked I am. So you're hanging out with them and we're scratching our head wondering why you don't love God anymore? It's not that hard to figure out. It's like two plus two equals four. Come on now. Where, where'd your spiritual desire go? Where you're hanging out with people that are really proud of all the wicked things they're doing. Okay, maybe that's where it's at. Everybody all right? God's their belly. A glory and their shame. Their end is destruction. Look what it says, they mind earthly things. That's all they're worried about. No spiritual desire, no spiritual goals, no spiritual anything... All they care about is earthly things. It's all about money and pleasure and fun and, and the things that have to do with the things of this world. So where did my desire for the things of God go? Well, if that's the people that's influenced you, that's the people you're following. There it is. It's not that hard to figure out. We, we, listen, as a pastor, I'm watching over our people, and I can try to, and I can't, I don't always gauge everything just right, but man, I try to gauge where are people at. Are they, are they loving God? Are they following God? Are they intently following God? And, and nine times out of ten, when you see that thing weigh and you start coming around, it's these things, it's this thing, who they're following, who they're letting in, influence you, who they're letting influence them. And it's not a surprise. It happens over and over and over and over and over again. I've been preaching for a long time, but I'm almost done. What you're forgetting, who you're following. Let me, give you, let me give you one last one. Where you're focusing. Look what he said in verse number 20. He said, for our conversation is in heaven. Now, he just got done contrasting the people in verse 19, right? You got people that mind earthly things, and then you got people that think about heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. That word conversation... It can mean lifestyle, it can mean uh, your, your manner of life, your conduct of life, but it can also mean like where you live, your citizenship, your community. 
That's probably the context right here of this verse. Our citizenship, our, our community, our life is in heaven. That's where we belong. That's where our membership is. That's where we belong. We're, we're not people of this world. We're people of heaven. And he said, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Where you're looking, what you're focusing on, will have a huge impact on your desire for God and for the things of God. Man, it's so easy. Isn't it easy to get bogged down in the everyday life? And I tell you, I think that's where a lot of people are in our churches today. It's not fornication. It's not adultery. It's not robbery. It's not murdering. It's not all these what we would call horrible, awful sins. It's they just get bogged down in the everyday life. Somebody said there's seven stages of life. From birth to death. You got, it starts out with the spills, and then the drills, and then the thrills, and then bills, and ills, and pills, and then wills. And that's it. And then you're dead. Is anybody in the, the bills category? The ills category? How about the pills category? Wheels category. I think I've reverted back. I'm back into some of them spills category. I think, you, I think there's a chance for you to go backwards a little bit. But we get so caught up with earthly things, don't we? Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Yeah, I know. Russia, Russia, Russia. Oh, it's all in our face. COVID, COVID, COVID. And it's all, it's just, listen. Can I tell you something? It'll never end. When this thing is over, you know, listen, you know, there's going to be something else. How many of y'all been watching the gas prices around here? Through the roof. I know these missionaries in here traveling the roads. I know they see it. I know they feel it. We all feel it. Man, isn't it easy to get caught up in thinking about wars? Rumors of wars and inflation and incompetent leadership in our country. And then, I mean, and then, and then on top of that, the, the bills that are coming in your mailbox and your taxes going up and less money in your pocket. And yeah, you might, you, listen, you, you, these people, they might be making $15 an hour now. Well, that $15 an hour don't do what their $750 used to do two years ago. And, man, we feel it. You go to Walmart, get groceries. I remember when me and Heather got married, and some of y'all have been married a long time, and you used to pay 50 cents for your groceries. I know that. But, but listen, when me and Heather got married, listen, I, we, $35. That's how much we pay, like, $35 for it. Just buy a couple bags of chicken fingers and a couple frozen pizzas, some Coca-Colas, and, man, that was it, 35 bucks. Now if I go to Walmart, listen, <laughs> it ain't $35. And you know what? Can I tell you what? Can I tell you what Rob, this is just me personally, can I tell you what robs my passion for the Lord and for holiness more than anything else? Just the problems of life. It is. It's just getting bogged down and all the junk that life has to bring. I'm going to tell you something. That's why the Bible says, young people, hey, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the what? Before them evil days come. When thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. 
What I'm trying to say is, cheer up, it gets worse. But there are days coming when it's just, it's hard. You think, I'll serve God when I'm older. Uh, Don't do that. Do it today. It only gets harder and harder and harder. But man, life gets so... And we, we get looking around at all the wickedness and all the stupidity and all the, 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 the ungod, and on this world and we get looking around. And, and I tell you what that'll do. You watch enough of that junk and you focus on that junk and it'll absolutely drain you of all your pressing toward the mark that ought to be in your life. What does Paul say? He said, let me tell you about heaven. <laughs> he said, let me tell you about another citizenship you have. He said, let me encourage you to look up and lift up your eyes because one day Jesus, He's coming out of the clouds and He's coming back and He's going to take us on out of here one of these days. And if you will live your life looking up instead of looking around and looking down and you'll look up toward the heavens and get a glimpse of the skies and keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ that's coming back and going to take care of all this stuff one day. Listen, they ain't one problem going on in this world that one half a second of the millennial reign won't take care of. I promise you that. It'll all be stamped out quicker than anything that you could possibly imagine why because he's able he said in verse 21 to subdue all things unto himself he has it all under control and he will continue to have it all under control and so while we're complaining and murmuring about gas prices and about wars and rumors of wars can I tell you child of God put your eyes on the sky because he's coming back He's coming back. And if you'll live your life expecting the Lord Jesus Christ and focusing on the God that will return, you will have this passion that is inside of you and it will drive you and you will live like Paul lived, pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's where your passion went. That's where it went. Amen. That's where your get up and go went. It went out with Fox News and gas prices and all them bills and inflation and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. It went out with all those influences you've been letting in your life. It went out with the past that you've been holding on to. And if you'll just let go of the past and if you'll just follow some godly examples and if you will put your eyes on the sky and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ coming again, it will fill you back up and you can live with passion for the glory and the honor of God. We'll stand together all over.